Amen. All right, Mark chapter number 15 tonight, the book of Mark chapter number 15. If you're able to, once you find your place there in the Word of God, Mark 15, go ahead and stand. Mark chapter number 15. How many are still tired from this last week? (laughs) Cole, you put that hand up pretty quick there, buddy. I'm like, who's tired? Before I even get the word tired out, Cole's like. I'll tell you what, I'm physically, I'm exhausted. I ain't even going to lie. Physically, I'm exhausted. But man, what a week. What a week. I have never been part of a revival service in all my years going to church. And uh, I've never been part of a revival service where you had a morning session and an evening session. I've done missions conferences where we've had a morning session and an evening session. And uh, I really like the morning session and the evening session. And so I know some, a lot of people had to work, you weren't able to be here, and, and that's understandable. But man, it's just something about coming to church all day long, getting the morning session, you know, about the time you kind of get Brother Mike coming down, it's like, wait a minute, get ready to go back to church and, you know, come in for the evening session. So uh, thankful, thankful, thankful for uh, our pastor's heart and vision and desire to have that because it, it was a blessing of a week blessing of a week. And I don't know about you, but there were some morning messages that I needed. And I thought after yesterday afternoon, as I was walking around the church, like, man, what if we didn't have those morning sessions? I might not have heard those messages. And God might not have dealt with me in that certain specific area, you know. So uh, don't take for granted the Word of God as it's preached. Don't take for granted the times we have to meet. Well, we are coming to the end of Revival Week. And uh, honestly, you know, you kind of physically, you're exhausted. Spiritually, you're kind of on that high. So I have prayed this afternoon that I do not lay an egg tonight. Uh, because, man, when pastor asked me a couple weeks ago, he said, hey, I'm preaching out. He said, hey, I'm preaching out, and I want you to preach that Sunday night. So I said, okay, you know, awesome. Praise the Lord. Uh, note to preachers, you don't ever walk up to the pastor and go, hey, when am I going to get to preach? You don't do that. You let God work in his heart. And when God lays it on a preacher's heart, he'll come ask you. And I didn't even really put two and two together, but tonight, obviously, is the night, the last Sunday night, you know, at the end of the revival, back like in the revival, and I thought, wow, what a blessing. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, <clears throat> we're going to jump into it tonight, and I, 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 I'll kind of let you know tonight, I'm, I'm, I may reference the revival week a little bit, but I, I, I really think that the theme we're going to look at tonight out of Mark chapter number 15 really coincides with the whole revival week, and it didn't work out that way. I've I've had this message in my Bible since uh, about February, January, February, and just been just thinking over it, thinking over, thinking over. You think, man, brother, brother Andrew, that long it ought to be really good. There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee tonight. Um, but I just, I just cannot get this thought out of my mind. And and even while Brother Dallas was preaching this last week, God kept bringing this passage to mind. So Mark chapter number fifteen. Look at. Let's we're going to begin reading in verse number thirty-seven and. We're going to give a lot of a background tonight before we get into the meat of the message. And so I just encourage you to bear with me a little bit and kind of set the stage uh, so that we understand the context of what's going on in this passage because it does uh, play a lot to do with what we're going to look at tonight. In Mark chapter number 15 and in verse number 37, the Bible says, And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Pretty profound statement if you think about it tonight, that as Jesus hangs upon the cross, 
A centurion, a Roman, a heathen, a lost man looks at him and says, truly this man was the Son of God. Verse 40, the Bible says, there were also women looking afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Les and of Joseph and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him and many other women which came up with him into Jerusalem. Verse 42, and now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which, uh, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly into Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead, and calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph, and he, brought, and he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in linen and laid him in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone into the door of the sepulcher. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. Amen. You may be seated tonight. By the time we get to Mark chapter number 15, we get to a point in Scripture where a lot has obviously transpired in the life of Christ, and not just his life, but in his ministry. And for the sake of time, we're not going to go back and go over his life. But what I do want us to look at real quick, just to kind of give us some context of the passage, is what really transpired the last 24 hours of Christ's life. You know, a lot of times we look at Christ's life and we look at his death specifically. We read about here in Mark chapter number 15. And we don't realize that there's a lot of other things that took place leading up to the cross. Now, I'm not trying to take away from the cross tonight, but in order for us really to understand what we're going to look at tonight later in this passage, we've got to understand the, the bigger picture, if you would. And let's be honest this more, or tonight that even in America today and what we're going through in America today, there's a bigger picture than what we're seeing. Would we agree to that? I mean, we would agree tonight that there is a bigger picture. So in the last... 24 hours of Christ's life, it, it will kind of get sums up like this. His day, uh, the day, last day of Jesus' life, appears to have started with Judas agreeing with the Jewish religious leaders to betray Christ for 30 pieces of silver. It wasn't one of those things that, G, uh, that Judas betrayed Christ and then hung around for a year or two uh, looking for that opportunity. No, no, it happened very quickly that Judas betrayed Christ. And after the betrayal, or after the, if you would, the agreement between Judas and the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees, uh, the disciples began to prepare the Passover meal in the upper room. And it was there that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And he used his own personal illustration to encourage them to show humility and to love one another. Then Jesus does something very unique. As the apostles, the disciples are gathered around that table and they're, they're fellowshipping together and they're partaking. And, and they're uh, obviously, you know, you think about they're encouraging one another. Jesus basically calls them out and says, there is one amongst you that is going to betray me. That's kind of paraphrasing here. And we know this, that Peter, he's got the big mouth, amen. He's the loud mouth of the group. He says, Lord, is it I? And there's an interaction between Jesus and Peter. But we know this, that in that conversation, that Jesus looks to Judas and basically tells Judas, you're the one. Now, let's, let's think about this for a second here. You got Jesus Christ, his 12 disciples, or his 12 apostles there, and they're gathered around, and Jesus says, one of you 12 is going to betray me. Now, that's pretty good you think one of the 12, and there's a pretty good odds, they're looking around going, okay, well, is it me, is it me, is it me? And then obviously Judas is looking at Jesus, and he's looking at the other disciples, and he's probably not trying to give it away that he's the one that's going to betray Christ. As a matter of fact, Judas had already basically betrayed Christ by coming to an agreement for 30 pieces of silver. And so Jesus looks at Judas and says, Judas, 
In a nutshell, here is what he says. You're the guy. You're the one. Uh, you're, you're, the, you're the one that I'm speaking of. You're the one that I'm prophesying of. So here's what Judas does. Judas leaves the room. And I don't know about you, but as I was studying this, I got thinking like, man, could you imagine the other 11 guys that are sitting there? I mean, Brother Mike, could you imagine being one of the other 11 guys? Uh, you know, I'd imagine myself as the disciple Andrew. You know, I mean, my name's Andrew. Andrew, I can relate to that guy. And, and sitting there at the, at the, at the Last Supper and, and breaking bread with Jesus and, you know, talking to, you know, Peter and James and John and, and, and the other disciples and just having a good time. And Jesus makes this statement. And, 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 as, and as Andrew, I'm like, hmm, who is it? Who's, who's the deceptive one? Who's the, who's the wrong one here? And, and Jesus says, Judas, it's going to be you. It's, you're the one who's going to betray me. You're the one that's going to, that's going to turn me over. And I, I don't know. I don't know. The Bible doesn't really tell us what the 11, that the other 11 did, but it just kind of baffles my mind to think that as, Judas, or sorry, as Jesus calls out Judas, that nothing gets said or done. That the other 11 disciples don't run over to Judas and go, hey, what's the problem, dude? You've been with us for the last three and a half years. Uh, what do you mean, Judas? How could you betray Christ? I mean, this is kind of a side note here, but it just transpires this way. And so Judas leaves. He leaves the upper room and he goes uh, to meet up with the betrayers, those that were going to arrest Jesus Christ. And so here's what Jesus does. Jesus leaves the upper room and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Gethsemane to pray. And we know this, that eventually Judas arrives and he brings the soldiers with him and the religious leaders, if you would, and he goes up to Jesus Christ. He betrays him with the kiss. And he betrays him with the kiss. We know this, that Peter draws his sword, cuts off the high priest's servant's ear in act of defense. Jesus performs a miracle right in front of all those that are there, puts the man's ear back in place, and he gets hauled off. Now this is all happening within a 24-hour period. All this is taking place. But it doesn't end with Jesus being hauled off. No, no, Jesus was taken prisoner first to the uh, Sanhedrin council for trial. And the Sanhedrin, we'll look at this here a little bit in this passage of scripture, is we, we could kind of relate the Sanhedrin to the Supreme Court of the United States. The Sanhedrin was the judicial branch of, within the Jewish religion, or the Jewish sect, if you would, and they ruled, and they, they, they were responsible for the law. And so Jesus goes before the Sanhedrin council, accused of false crimes, having false witnesses. If you read your Bible, we don't have time this, uh, this evening, but if you read your Bible in the Gospels, the Bible specifically tells us this, that the witnesses' testimonies didn't add up. Now, I don't know about you, but if you or I go to court and we are accused of a crime and there's witnesses brought up against us, and let's just say this, let's just say two witnesses show up to, to witness against us and these two witness testimonies oppose one another, what is most likely going to happen? Get this case out of court. Uh, th nope, th this mistrial, not guilty, whatever the case is. No, 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 but here's what takes place. The trial occurred throughout the night, and in the morning, Jesus was taken to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate could not find any reason to crucify Christ, and even in Matthew chapter number 27, in Luke 23, the Bible records it, that Pontius Pilate looked at Jesus Christ and considered him a righteous man. So here's what happens. Pontius Pilate, therefore, sends him to Herod, who found nothing wrong with Jesus, and returned Jesus back to Pontius Pilate. In response, Pilate's like, man, I've got to make a decision. I've got to make a choice. I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to do something because these Sadducees are all over me. Uh, the, the Sanhedrin are all over me. And I, I'm trying to appease the people. And remember this, Pontius isn't, he's not, he's not Jewish. He's Roman. He, he's, in a, he's in a foreign country. And so he's trying to keep the peace. He's trying to, to make sure that a, a ruckus doesn't take place. He's trying to make sure that there's no, 
uh, protesting and no destruction of property and no vandalism that's going on. So here's what Pilate does. Pilate presents before the people either Jesus or Barabbas. So here's, here's, the, here's the only option, because I cannot find any guilt within this man by, G, by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So Pilate presents before the people Jesus and Barabbas. We know the story. The crowd said, hey, listen, we want Barabbas, a known criminal, to be set free. Does this kind of sound familiar? Kind of sound like we can relate a little bit to what's going on here? No, I'm, I'm serious. I, I got a point here. We're, we're building here. We're building. We're building. You say, Brother Andrew, where are you going with this? Just keep following along with me. Pontius Pilate releases Barabbas and then sends Jesus Christ, a righteous man, to the cross of Calvary. Now, here's one of the things that in studying this, we kind of overlook. We kind of overlook sometimes what is transpiring in all those people that are involved. Because now we're on this side, if you would, of the cross. So we can look back, Brother Mike, and we can know that Jesus Christ is our Savior. We can know that Jesus Christ was God's Son, that He came to die for mankind, that He shed His blood on the cross of Calvary. But right here, listen, right here, what's taking place in Mark chapter number 15, they didn't have the book of Mark. They didn't have the book of Matthew. They didn't have John and Luke. They didn't have the letters from the Apostle Paul to the early churches. They didn't have the encouragement of 1 Peter and 2 Peter. They didn't have the book of James. They didn't have the book of Revelation. They didn't have those things. So what they were basing it off of was the Old Testament canon of Scripture, and what they knew was prophecy, what they knew, listen, what they did not want to accept is truth, and so therefore they took Jesus before the people and said, Jesus, mm, yeah, let's crucify him. Let's crucify him. The Bible tells us this, in 1 John chapter number 1, verse number 7, And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Man, I'm thankful tonight that Jesus Christ's blood cleanses me from all sin. And listen, not just the sin that I committed in the past, but even the sin that I commit in the future. Because I'll be honest with you, we, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Just because we're saved, just because we're quote-unquote a Christian, does not mean that we don't sin. We sin every single day. But I'm thankful the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all my sin. But there's someone in this passage of Scripture that God gives us a look at, if you would, who is involved, heavily involved in what's taking place. Look at verse number 42. The Bible says, And now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath. Okay, so let's follow up to this. All these events have taken place. Jesus is, is, is crucified. We know this, that he's hung on the cross. He's already, the Bible already read just in our text a, little bit, a few minutes ago, that he gave up the ghost. So now he's, he's dead. He's dead. He's, he's, he's not sleeping. He's dead. So the Bible tells us that when even was come, there was an individual in verse number 43. This man's name is Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also, also the Bible says here, waited for the kingdom of God and went in boldly into Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. <clears throat> I want you to notice here, too, that as God gives us this passage in Mark, he also gives us some other passages to relate. And, and hold your place there in Mark and turn over to uh, John, chapter number 19. The book of John, chapter number 19. 
As I was reading through this passage and studying this, it's interesting to note you have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And while you find a lot of similarities between the four Gospels, oftentimes you will find one Gospel that will contain a story that you might not find in the other Gospels. It's not because it didn't happen, it's just on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they didn't pen that particular event down or that particular thing down. So in Mark chapter number 15, we read of Joseph of Arimathea. Well, here's, here's, listen, here's what the Gospel of Matthew says in Matthew 27. When the eve was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself, notice the Bible, how the Bible describes him, was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, records it like this. In Luke chapter 23, verse number 50, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Now look at John. Look at the Gospel of John, chapter number 19. John says this. John says this in John chapter number 19, verse number 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus... But secretly, for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. See, we got to take note tonight that all four Gospels mention Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, now, listen, we, we can't just look at this and go, well, you know, it's just no big deal. It's just a name. It's just the guy that took down Jesus' body. No, no, I think there's some significance when the Bible records in all four Gospels, specifically that Joseph of Arimathea took down the body of Jesus Christ. And not just that he took down the body of Jesus Christ, but how the Bible describes him. So how does the Bible, how is the Bible described Joseph? Well, we know this in our text here tonight, that Joseph, number one, he's a rich man. Joseph was a very rich man. Notice what the Bible says here, back in our text in Mark chapter number 15. The Bible says this, that in verse number 46, and he bought fine linen. Then in the latter part of verse number 46, that he, rolled, uh, that he placed him in the sepulcher. He laid him down in the sepulcher. We know this, that, that Joseph was a very rich man. In order to have uh, uh, your own tomb, if you would, back in Bible times, you had to have some money. Uh, listen, the, the graves weren't like, uh, it wasn't like a graveyard like what we think of today. And, 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 and most of the time, listen, most of the time, those that were crucified were either left on the cross to rot or to be eaten by the birds or many times the Romans, listen, the Romans, a, a pagan society would remove the bodies and just simply burn them. And so for Joseph to take the body of Jesus Christ, but not only to take the body for burial, but to prepare the body to buy fine linen, we'll look at that here in just a little bit more in just a second, and then also to place him in his own personal tomb, this guy had some money. He had some dough. He had some cash, if you would. But the Bible also says this in our text. Look at Mark chapter number 15, verse number 43. It says, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor. The Bible tells us that he was an honorable counselor. What does that mean, Brother Andrew? Like, was he part of the Jerusalem city council? No, not quite. What the Bible is referring to is that Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were the supreme council, the the legal council of the Jewish people. He was responsible. He was part of the group that was responsible for the judicial affairs pertaining to the Jewish people. You say, well, why is that such a big deal? 
Well, because we just kind of established a few minutes ago that it was the Sanhedrin that had the kangaroo court at night and falsely accused Jesus Christ. Because then the Bible tells us this in the, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, the same had not consented to the counsel and the deed of them. Speaking of Joseph of Arimathea. So here's Jesus Christ. He's, he's arrested. He stands, listen, he stands before the council of Sanhedrin at night. He's falsely accused. He's got false witnesses against him. And the Bible tells us that this Joseph of Arimathea basically stands up and says, this ain't, this ain't happening. No, no, no. He does not consent. He does not consent to the charges that are brought against Jesus Christ. They say, why is that so significant? Understand this, that if you were part of the Sanhedrin, you were part of the select few. A very, very select few. And so in order for you to be part of the Sanhedrin, uh, there was a status quo, if you would, to be part of this this group, uh, this group of men that had the responsibility to judge and to, to carry out the law, the law of Moses. And so when Joseph of Arimathea gets to this point in his life, and he gets in here to Mark chapter number 15, and the Bible tells us in verse 43 that he goes before Pilate boldly, craving the body of Jesus Christ, Listen, this is a stark contrast to the man who 12 hours ago sat amongst the other Sanhedrin over here who were all screaming and yelling, kill him, crucify him, crucify him. So why does the Bible give us these descriptions of Joseph? Notice what else the Bible says here. In John, the Bible talks about this, talks about Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple. He was a good man, a just man. So what does that mean, Brother Andrew? It means this means he was a saved man. means he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. No, no, listen, listen, if you're a disciple, and he, listen, not just today, but even in Bible times, if you would be described as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that means you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That means you recognize that Jesus Christ is God's son, is God's Messiah. And so here we have Joseph, and, and, and the Bible tells us this in, in John, that not only is he a disciple, but that he's secretly a disciple. No, 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 listen. Joseph's not like standing up in front of the Sanhedrin going, you know, guys, listen, before we give Judas the 30 pieces of silver, we really need to pray about this. I'm not seeing that in the scripture. No, no, because the Bible tells us that he secretly feared the Jews. Let me ask you something tonight, just kind of a side point here. If you're truly born again tonight, if you're truly saying, Brother Andrew, I desire to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, Is your desire secret? Or is your desire open? Saying, listen, I don't care about anybody else, but I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, we live in a society in America that we we almost promote secret Christianity. We almost glorify secret Christianity. We almost edify secret Christianity. So what do you mean by that, Brother Andrew? Listen, we have gotten to the point in America, and sometimes even as, and not just in America, but across the globe where we think about Christianity, and we think about Christianity in our own terms. And so when we think about this, well, am I really a disciple of Jesus Christ? Am I, am I really one of his? Uh, man, if I am, then man, I, man, God's forgiven me. I can just do whatever I want. But in order for you to be described as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you've got to be a follower. Listen, you can be saved but not be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You realize that? You can be saved, but not be a disciple. So what do you mean by by that, Brother Andrew? Listen, you can be saved tonight, born again, have a home in heaven, have a mansion waiting for you, but not be a disciple because you or I choose not to follow Christ. Bottom line. 
But here's the flip side of that. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ and lost. You can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, but be lost. A disciple of Jesus Christ is one who follows him. We looked this morning, I don't, I don't know about the adult classes, but I know for the teen class, we looked this morning at this term Christian. And one of the points we looked at was that the fact that the Christian is a follower. A Christian is a person who seeks to follow Jesus in a personal relationship with him after coming to salvation by faith. This is an everyday, ongoing relationship that brings growth within you through the teaching and the life of Jesus Christ. This is a person that after being born into a relationship with Jesus, seeks to develop that relationship and know Jesus Christ personally, like a friend and a father. Listen, is that your relationship with Christ? Or are you more like Joseph? You secretly fear. You secretly fear the Jews. You secretly fear what's going to take place. You secretly fear uh, what's going to happen. Listen, I, I know we're on live stream tonight, but listen, we ought to be thanking God that we're able to meet tonight. You know, there's churches in America today, churches in America today that governors have said, listen, no more church, no more church. We're closing the doors. Earlier, a couple weeks ago, it was like, hey, you can't sing in church. Now it's, you can't even meet in church. Listen, we ought to be thanking God, praising God that we're still able to meet. But can I say this tonight, Riverside Baptist Church, if, if we're told, hey, you can't meet, you can't worship God, you can't, listen, are you going to worship God secretly? Or are you going to say, bless God, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to give him thanks. I'm going to give him honor. I'm going to give him glory. Listen, we have churches across America filled with adults and teenagers who are saved, but they're not disciples. We have individuals in our pews, and we go through a week of revival, and, and we're like, man, Brother Angel, I heard those messages on salvation, and praise God, I'm born again. Praise God, I have a home in heaven. Praise God, I'm saved. Woo, that's awesome. But yet, when challenged to commit to God, we won't commit. Say, Brother Andrew, can you prove this? Absolutely. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 15 tells us this. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. See, we have a generation of Christians today that live life day to day for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Yet, yet, we want God's blessing. We want God's blessing. So we get through a week of revival and we hear messages all day Sunday and then all day Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We think, man, praise God. Man, what a great week of revival. Man, that was great. What did God speak to your heart about? You know, I just can't tell you, Brother Andrew. It's personal. Really? Well, you know, Brother Andrew, I just, there's just some things in my life that I just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to lay them at the altar. Well, that's funny because you weren't even here all week. So how do you lay him at the altar if you weren't here? No, 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 no. That's sometimes our mentality when it comes to our relationship with God. We want the blessings of God. We want God to move. We want God to work. We want God to do all these things for us, but we don't want to do one thing for him. We don't want to do one thing for him. And we're limiting God working in our life. Not, listen, God's not limiting, but we're, we're limiting God. I appreciated the testimony by Brother David Heckel, listen, man, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the one that keeps God's blessing. I don't want to be the one that God says, well, you know, I'd move in Riverside Baptist Church's life, but Brother Andrew, man, he's got some hidden sin. He's got some things in his life that he won't turn over. He's got some things in his life that he won't get right. Listen, I'm a sinner just like you're a sinner. And if we're not, listen, if we're not careful, 
we look at our sin and think, ah, it's not that big of a deal, Brother Andrew. It's not that big of a deal, Pastor Marshall. God, it's not that big of a deal. You've already forgiven me. Let's just move on past it. No, no, no. If we're not careful tonight, the sin that we harbor in our life, the sin that we are holding on to, the sin that God's calling out, the sin, listen, the sin that God's identifying in our life, and we know it's not right, we won't get it right with God, we won't hit an altar, we won't beg God for forgiveness, that sin that's in our life can keep God from moving and working here. What a shame. What a shame. What a shame. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ takes commitment. The Bible tells us this, that we cannot serve two masters. We can't. It's not possible. Every day we make a choice of who we're going to serve. The Bible tells us this about Joseph's faith in John chapter 19, that he was a disciple of Jesus Christ, but he feared the Jews. He feared the Jews. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, the Bible tells us this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let me ask you something tonight, church, individual church members, adults, teenagers. When was the last time you let your light shine for the cause of Christ? Think about it. Could you relate to Miss Amy's testimony tonight that throughout the last couple of months, the last couple of weeks, that you have just gone through life and just kind of done your normal routine as normal as possible with what's going on. And you haven't once handed out a track. You haven't once tried to be an encouragement to somebody who maybe is lost. You haven't once tried to address the fears that maybe somebody has and give them a word of encouragement. You haven't prayed for one another. You haven't really allowed God to work in your heart. You've kind of, in a sense, put your hands up to God and say, God, you know what? There's a lot going on in the world right now. You're just going to have to wait. So going back to our text in Mark chapter number 15, Joseph is a pretty interesting character. Because notice what the Bible says here in verse number 15, or sorry, chapter 15, verse number 43. The Bible says, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came. Now I want you to notice what God says here. This is God's words. And went in boldly unto Pilate, and craved the body of Jesus. The word crave means this. It means to cry out for, to beg for, or to implore. You see, when Joseph, came, when Joseph came to the cross of Calvary and he saw what took place, he saw Christ hanging upon the cross, listen, it didn't just change what was going on on the outside, it changed what was going on on the inside. And Joseph, the Bible tells us this, that he was a disciple of Christ, but secretly. But by the time we get to Mark chapter number 15 and verse number 43, Joseph's got a little bit of grit in his crawl, if you would, and he walks, the Bible says, right up to Pilate, into Pilate's house, and the Bible says that he boldly went unto Pilate, and the Bible says that he craved, he begged for the body of Jesus Christ. Man, what a stark change in Joseph's life. So Lord Willington, I'm going to give you three points, and we'll get out of here. That was a long introduction. But Lord Willington, I'm going to preach on this thought. So that's it. That's what you crave. That's it. That's what you crave. I believe there's some things that we can learn from the life of Joseph about cravings tonight. And let's be honest. Let's be real tonight. We all have cravings, right? We all have cravings. Listen, I, uh, you know, we, we think about food. A lot of times we think cravings. That's exactly what we went to. I, I said the word cravings, and I was thinking about that apple pie I ate Friday night back in the cafe. 
We think about food. But listen, we all have cravings. There's things that we crave, that we long for, that we desire, that we beg for, that we enjoy. So the Bible tells us in verse number 43, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, it says this, that he craved the body of Jesus. So I believe there's some things we can learn about Joseph's cravings. Here's, Here's the first thing we can learn. That our cravings confirm some things. Our cravings confirm some things. You see, no longer was Joseph hiding in the shadows. No longer was he a secret. No longer was he, was he trying to get behind in the darkness and the shadows of the night and trying to uh, do his Sanhedrin duties over here and then trying to follow and hear what was going on with Jesus Christ over here. No, no, the Bible says that he boldly went unto Pilate and he craved the body of Jesus Christ. You know what that did? That confirmed, that, listen, that confirmed to not only Joseph but also to Pilate that Joseph was a believer. Man, think about that tonight, that as, as, as Pilate's there, he's, he's dealing with the crowd, he's dealing with the masses, he obviously sees, uh, most likely sees Joseph amongst the Sanhedrin, and he's hearing the yelling and the screaming, and crucify, 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 and, and, and Joseph's in his Sanhedrin garments, and he's part of that crowd, and so, so Pilate sends off Jesus to be crucified. Then hours later, Joseph comes back and says, listen, I don't know what's going on, but here's what I want, I want his body. I want his body. I I want to bury his body. I want to do it the right way. Listen, tonight, can I say this? That our cravings confirm some things in our life. Our cravings confirm some things in our life. See, the word boldly here bears the meaning of being courageous. Hours prior, he had stood amongst his fellow Sanhedrin, Joseph had, and while he did not consent to the death of Christ, listen, listen, he didn't stop it. He didn't stop it. He didn't stop it. As I was preparing this, I was thinking about times as a, as a, as a teenager, and I grew up in a Christian home, but I went, went to a, a, a public school, and I had friends in church, and I had friends in school, and, 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 and there were things that I did with both groups. And listen, I'll be honest with you tonight, I'm just going to be transparent and real. There were times that I did things, listen, there was times that I did things with friends in school that I should have stood up and said, nah, I'm not going to do that, Brother David, I'm, just, I'm not going to do that. But can I also say this, there was times I did things with friends from church that I should have stood up and said, mm, that's not right. That's not godly. That's not what God wants me to do. I, that's not going to bring uh, glory to God's name. Can I be honest with you tonight that our cravings confirm some things in our life? We just got done with a week of revival. So what's, what's that about, Brother Andrew? Well, here's a week of revival. I wrote down a couple of things that it confirmed in our hearts. Number one, here's what it confirmed. Are we truly born again? Are we truly born again? Number two, it confirmed whether or not we're totally yielded to God. No, 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 no. No, not secretly yielded. Not just in the shadows, in the darkness. Listen, not just when we're in the house of God. Not when we're just in the youth group. Not when we're just at church camp or we're out knocking doors, Brother Mike. No, no. Are we totally yielded to God and everything God has for us? Here's what else it confirmed. Are we living life in fear? Are we living life in fear and worrying about what's going on around the next corner and, 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 and what's going to take place here? And what's going to take place there? Number four, it confirmed this. Whether or not we are playing games with God. I love playing games, enjoy games. But man, I really don't want to play games with God. Some of you adults know what I'm talking about. You've been there, you've done that. You've been there, you've done that. You've watched others play games with God. Can I be honest with you? You want to play games with God, you're going to lose. Play games with God, you're going to lose. Number five, are we going through the motions or do we have a real walk with God? We're talking about confirming some things. 
Number six, here's what it confirmed. Is church important? Let that sink in for a second. No, no, no. The revival meeting confirmed some things. We're going to get in a little bit more personal here in just a second. But it confirmed whether or not church was important. Hi, my name's Joseph of Arimathea. And I secretly am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Think that's how he went into Pilate, Matthew? No, no, no. The Bible says that he boldly went unto Pilate. Listen, Pilate could have looked right at Joseph and said, See you, buddy. The Bible says that he craved the body of Jesus Christ. Here's what else it confirmed, the revival meeting. It confirmed this. Is my relationship with God my number one priority? Our cravings confirm some things. What you and I crave reveals our proximity to the cross of Calvary and our closeness to God, our Heavenly Father. You see, parents, if our kids have to ask us, are we going to church? It confirms some things. If our spouse asks us, did you read your Bible and pray today? It confirms some things. If your friend, friend, best friend, whatever friend walks up to you and says, hey, what is keeping you from selling out to God? It confirms some things. See, there's no question with Joseph that his bold craving for Jesus' body in the face of Pontius Pilate confirmed his desire, listen, not only to be with Jesus, not only to love on Jesus, but also this, that he was tired of being a secret disciple of Jesus. Listen, what are your cravings tonight and what do they confirm? I hate to say it like this, but some of our cravings confirm this, that we're not as close to God as we think we are. Man, that's a pretty powerful statement, Brother Andrew. Well, can I say that about myself then? That my, listen, my cravings, we all have them, reveal that I'm not as close to God, listen, as I want to. And here's something even more powerful than that. I'm not as close to God as God wants me to be. And that's the challenge. Number two, notice our text here, verse number 46. The Bible says this, And he, brought, he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in linen, and laid him in the sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock, and rolled a stone into the door of the sepulcher. Number two, our cravings, let's not only confirm some things, but I believe here we can look at this passage of Scripture and see this, that our cravings cost us some things. Let me explain here. It wasn't just that Joseph wanted the body of Jesus Christ, and it wasn't just the fact that Joseph was willing to take the time to bring down his body and to prepare it for burial the, the right way. But Joseph desired to give Christ a proper burial. And so the Bible tells us this in verse number 46, that he bought fine linen. And you say, well, what's the big deal about fine linen, Brother Andrew? Well, fine linen back in Bible times was not just a couple hundred bucks. No, no, no. Fine linen in Bible times was upwards of close to a year's worth of salary. And understand this. They didn't have Walmart. They didn't have Amazon. They didn't have Target. They didn't have Goodwill. Uh, they didn't have those places back then. And so for Joseph, there was a cost that had to be taken place. And Joseph didn't have a walk-in closet and just things that he could just go, well, you know, I think this will be good for Jesus. Or I think, this, I think he'll look good in these shoes. And I think he'll look good in this tie. And, and, and if they even had ties back then. And, and I think he'll look good in these things. No, 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 no. There was a cost that Joseph ensued upon himself. Why? Because he craved the body of Jesus Christ. You see, fine linen wasn't cheap. There was some price that had to be paid. And here was Joseph's mindset. I don't just want to bury Jesus, but I want to wrap his body in the finest linen. Uh, the, uh, in, in, in the other Gospels, you read the story there of this account that's taken place. And there's another man that comes into the scene with Joseph. 
by the name of Nicodemus. Now, we know Nicodemus from John chapter number 3, and by the famous verse, John chapter 3, verse number 16. That's the same Nicodemus. The Bible tells us that Joseph and Nicodemus not only wrap Jesus Christ in fine linen, but the Bible tells us that they go out and they purchase ointments or spices. And as they're wrapping Jesus' body, and as they're wrapping his body with this fine linen, they're adding in the spices, and they're adding in the ointments. Listen, there was a cost for their craving. So let's ask us tonight, what do our cravings cost us? What does our craving cost us? I mean, think about it. Let's, let's think about this. So man, this can get really personal. Yeah, it is. It's the longest point. Point number three is really short. <laughs> if we enjoy fishing for the Bauer, for the Terry, man, there's some cost to fishing. We've done some fishing this last summer and not so much lately because it's been so hot, but we did some fishing over the quarantine and, and uh, Micah's wanted to go fishing, so trying to teach Micah how to fish. And I remember going fishing, we went to this little pond up over here by the hospital with the teens on one night or whatever, and, and uh, we're, we're casting on out, casting on out, casting on out. And probably about an hour into our fishing endeavor, I look on over at Micah. Micah's got his pole and his fishing line's like all over the place. So I'm like, Micah, man, you know, Levi's over there catching his, and Micah's trying to fight it. So I had Micah come on over, and, and uh, I said, Micah, grab the, grab the tackle box. So Micah grabs the tackle box, but the lid's not on it. So you know the rest of the story, Brother Bauer. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking? I'm, I'm just seeing dollar signs in the grass at the pond, like, oh, no, you know. No, 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 listen. If we have a craving for something, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us. You see, it cost, it cost Joseph. His craving, when he craved the body of Jesus Christ, when he craved to prepare the body for burial, it had some cost to it. Have you ever noticed that the things we really want in life, we're willing to find a way to pay the cost for? Man, we want that vacation. We'll pay the cost for it. We want that new car. We'll pay the cost for it. We want that new video game system. We'll pay the cost for it. We want that new toy, that new gun, those new shoes, those new outfits, the new hairdo. Whatever the case is, man, we are going to pay the cost for it. Why? Because I'm craving that. So we'll pay the cost. It's amazing in our Christian life how we say we want God. We say we want God. We say we want God's blessing. We come to revival in the morning. We come to revival in the evening. Woo, man, God's really moved. Man, I want revival. I want revival. I want the spirit of revival to remain at Riverside Baptist Church. Woo, man, it's great, Brother Nathan. Hallelujah. God's moving. God's working. Man, it's awesome. And God says this to us as a church. Are you willing to pay the cost? We want revival. Listen, God doesn't sit up in heaven and just go, hey, Riverside Baptist Church, you want revival? There you go. That's not how God operates. God says, you want revival? Fix this. You want revival? Get this right. You want revival? Get rid of this in your life. Listen, you want revival? You want things to be different in your life? Then get this settled right here. Then I'll pour out revival. No, no. We live in a generation of Christianity where we tell God what he is to do and what we want him to do. Do we not? Preachers preaching the word of God. Missionaries preaching the word of God. Evangelists preaching the word of God. Man, that's a great message. And yet we walk right out those doors. We go back to our homes. We go back to our job places. We go back to our schools. Not changed, 
not move, Brother Philip. We don't, we just, just go through the motions. But yet, when God doesn't move and God doesn't work, we want to shake our finger at God and say, God, why? And here's God's response. Because you're not willing to pay the cost. Now, let me, let me just kind of preface this statement. When we got saved, it didn't cost us anything. I just want, I just want everybody to understand that. When we got saved, I didn't, pay any, I didn't do anything for salvation other than repenting of my sin and putting my faith in Jesus Christ. But if I, listen, if I want a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's going to be some cost. There's going to be some times in my life where I am not going to feel, listen, listen, I'm not going to feel like getting up early to read my Bible or to pray or to go out and pass tracts or to door knock or to be a blessing and encouragement to these people. There are times where Satan's going to crawl on my back and try to discourage and try to frustrate and try to get me to quit and walk away and, and be mean to my wife and mean to you and mean to my, whatever. There's all those things going to take place. There comes a point in my life that if I really want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, I need to count the cost and pay up. But here's what happens. We want Jesus Christ in our relationship with Jesus Christ to be given to us in a, in a, in a hamburger bag and said, here you go, take a bite and enjoy. But we don't, listen, we don't want to spend time praying. We don't want to spend time at the altar. We don't want to spend time confessing our sin. Listen, we don't want to spend time getting right with one another when we have aught with a brother or sister in Christ. We don't want to listen to the preacher or Brother Andrew or Brother Jim or Brother Mike or Brother Rick or Brother Mike Elms or whoever it is. We don't want to take the time. We don't want to pay the cost to get close to God. Listen, Joseph of Arimathea was like, I will pay the cost. Pilate, I want Jesus' body. I'm willing to pay the cost. I'm willing to buy the fine linen. I'm willing to put him in my sepulcher. I don't care about anybody else. I want his body. He craved the body of Jesus Christ, and he was willing to pay the cost. Listen, tonight, your cravings cost something. Your cravings cost something. How are you paying? What are you paying with? We could use a ton of examples tonight of when you and I really, 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 really want something. We really crave something. We'll go out of our way. When was the last, listen, when was the last time we craved God in our, listen, when was the last time we craved God in Jesus Christ so much, so much that we were willing to be uncomfortable to be close to Him? When was the last time we craved Him so much that we were willing to forsake all? Listen, I, I, I'm not going to mention his name, but I, I talked to him earlier today. There's a, there's a man in our church that, who went to youth camp last year, a, a grown adult. And listen, God worked in his heart. God worked on his heart when he was at youth camp last year and came back home, and there were some things that he, he needed to get rid of in his house. They weren't, they weren't wicked things. It wasn't like it was pornography or, or alcohol or drugs or cigarettes or anything like that. But there's just some things in his life that God revealed to him and said, listen, that craving right there is keeping you from having the walk and the relationship with me that I desire to have with you. What are you going to do? So this member, Riverside Baptist Church, said, you know what? My relationship with God is worth my denying myself. And so hundreds of dollars, hundreds of dollars ended up in that trash can out there. Why? Because his craving, he was willing to pay the cost for. You know why we don't see God move in our life? Let's just be real tonight. Let's just be real. It's a Sunday night crowd. We're at the back end of the revival. You know why we won't see revival carry on at Riverside Baptist Church, Brother Rick? Because when the cost is presented, when the preaching is done, when pastor gets in the pulpit and says, thus saith the Lord, and the word of God is opened, 
and God is magnified and glorified, we look at the cost and we say, I'm not going to pay it. It's not worth it. Listen, I've been there, not just as a teenager, but even as an adult. Listen, our cravings are going to cost us something. What do your cravings cost you tonight? Listen, parents, parents, I, I cannot say this enough. Parents, your cravings may cost you your kids. This next year, uh, this next year, and this, I know this doesn't mean a, a much for you all, but it, I got thinking about it this week as I was studying for this message, but this next year, uh, I'll have been working in youth ministry for 20 years. And Pastor and I were talking about it this week, about being in ministry, and being in ministry, whether it's with youth or in evangelism, uh, church staff, whatever the case is, and the amount of people you see in ministry that you try to minister to, Brother Mike, I mean, you, you can see the road they're heading down and the direction they're heading. I can think of young ladies and young men as I'm driving down the mountain at Silver State and, and they're sitting at the edge of the bus steps, Brother Mike, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing them in my mind coming down on Friday night. And as I'm driving down the mountain, if you're up on the mountain, you know how curvy it is. I'm driving down the mountain, coming down the mountain, and they're sitting at the, at the footsteps of, the, of the, the church shuttle, weeping and convicted over their sin. And, and like, I want to get my life right. I want to do right. I, man, God showed me. God showed me. God showed me. And now they're living a homosexual lifestyle. Or they've got four or five kids out of wedlock, each kid with a different dad. Or the boys in prison, hooked on drugs. Listen, can I be honest with you tonight, parents? If we're not careful and we don't crave the right things, we're going to lose our kids. And I, listen, I'm saying that as a, as a, as a, as a staff guy. Uh, man, my kids, I, I, I know, they're, they're under a microscope. The devil wants to destroy my kids. I realize that. And as they get older, and as I, as I talk to them, and as I spend time with them one-on-one and collectively, it has been very evident as a parent, the devil is after them. Because if he can get to them, he could really get to me. So you know what i got to do? i got to make sure my cravings are right. Brother Terry, i got to make sure I'm willing to count the cost. And when God says, listen, Andrew, uh, that craving, that's not good. This craving, this is good. Mm, that's a no-brainer. I'm going to pay the cost and have the right craving. Then lastly, look at verse number 44. Verse number 44. The Bible says this, And Pilate marveled if he were already dead, and calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew of it, the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph, and he, brought fi- and he bought fine linen, and took him down, and wrapped him in linen, and laid him in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock, and rolled a stone into the door of the sepulcher. Now notice what the Bible says here. And Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. You see, our cravings confirm some things. Our cravings will cost us some things. But then lastly, I, real quickly tonight, our cravings cause some things. For the sake of time, we won't go back to the introduction, but we know this, that there was a lot that was taking place with Joseph and the Sanhedrin and the disciples. All the disciples forsook Jesus Christ. And we get to this portion of Scripture here in the Bible in verse number 47, names two individual ladies, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph. The Bible says that they beheld where he laid them. You know, Joseph's craving for Jesus Christ's body, that Jesus wouldn't just hang upon the cross and be eaten by birds, or taken down and 
thrown in a pile of other bodies and burned uh, like the Romans most likely probably would have done. Joseph's craving and his desire to give the right, listen, to give the right burial to Jesus Christ caused these women to follow along. In Luke chapter number 23, the Bible tells us this, and the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. You see, the man who hours before uh, was, 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 was a secret disciple of Jesus Christ now openly went to Pilate and said, Pilate, and the Bible says that he boldly went to Pilate and craved the body of Jesus, but not so much just for him. Listen, what he had cravings for caused others to follow. So what do you mean by that, Brother Andrew? No, no, no. His disciples, the 11 that did not forsake him, the Bible tells us right this afternoon, the Bible says that they all forsook him and fled. They're, no, they're, they're, they're in hiding. They're nowhere to be found. They're not at the foot of the cross going, Joseph, let me give you a hand. Joseph, let me buy some spices. Joseph, let me help with the linen. No, no, no. It's just Joseph and these ladies. You know, tonight our cravings cause some things. Here's what our cravings cause. Our cravings cause those around us to either get closer to God or farther away from God. Listen, moms and dads, I is one. <laughs> My cravings cause my kids to either get closer to God or farther from God. I try to, I try to golf. I'm not very good, ask pastor. I try to golf, and uh, it can be pretty funny sometimes. It can be pretty hilarious sometimes. But, you know, I, I enjoy golf, and so I have a, a craving for golfing. And so if somebody says, hey, let's, Brother Andrew, let's go golfing. i got a day off. Let's go golfing. I, man, I'll go golf. You know, there's someone else that likes golf that I know, and that's Micah. Micah's influenced by my craving or my like for golf. I like the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team. It's my favorite baseball team. Don't judge me, Bell. My favorite baseball team. Has been my whole life. And Emily, my daughter, her favorite baseball team is, guess what? Not the Royals, the Cardinals. Because she's smart like that. Listen, my cravings rub off on my kids. I, I, listen, I enjoy guns. I enjoy the Second Amendment. Levi, he enjoys guns. You ever watch Levi after church? He needs to learn how to hold the gun, but yeah, he enjoys guns. Listen, our cravings cause some things. So moms and dads, if our craving for God and our craving for church is not what it's supposed to be, why would we think our kids' craving would be that great for church? No, 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 no. Let's listen. Everybody look up here. If our craving for church is not what it's supposed to be, why in the world would we expect our kids to listen to the preacher, to respond to the invitation, to be moved by the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit? Brother Andrew, I just don't understand... You know, I had them in church. No, 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 no. Let's stop looking at them and let's look at you. I cannot sit over there in that seat and expect God to move in Emily and Lydia and Bella and Micah and even Levi's heart if I sit in that chair and I'm not willing to say, God, move me first. But what I crave causes some things. It causes people to either get closer to God or get further away from God? So let's pose the question tonight. Is what I crave, whether I'm a parent, whether I'm a teenager, 
whether I'm a single person, whatever the case is, is what I crave tonight getting me closer to knowing God or pushing away from God? Fishing's fun. Baseball's fun. Shooting's really fun. Golf is fun. But are those so important in my life? Am I so Am I living my life craving those things so much that I am slowly walking away from all that God has done this last week in revival? Or have I just come to church during revival and, man, woo, yeah, let's go, woo, got right with God, now I'm good to go. No, 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 listen, tomorrow's Monday. I hate Mondays. Tomorrow's Monday. Monday's going to come, and guess who's going to be up before you even put your feet on the ground? Old Satan himself. You know what he's going to do? He's going to get you, and he's going to get I, and he's going to get our pastor to have our eyes and our focus and our cravings on things that would keep us away from God. It's called spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Joseph craving for Jesus caused the women to follow. Listen, tonight I hope it can be said of Riverside Baptist Church that our craving for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is causing others to follow him. I hope it can be said tonight that our testimony of faith in God is causing our family to get closer to God. I shared this testimony with the teenagers this morning in teen class, how my dad got saved. I I grew up in a Christian home. My mom was saved, but for most of my life, my dad wasn't saved. My dad wasn't saved. And I remember moving to Calvary Baptist Church in Knob My dad got military orders there. And I remember standing before the church, my mom and us seven kids. And Brother Abel's introducing us to the church. And he said this, he said, Miss... Miss Nora's husband, Pat, Patrick, is lost. And as a church, we need to pray for his salvation. I was telling the teenagers, my dad had gone to church before for special events, special activities, and Brother Rick, I can, I can remember my dad sitting in the classrooms there at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, after the message was preached. I can, I can, I can, I can picture him right now in my mind's eye, sitting on the wall, bawling his eyes out under conviction, but he would not repent of his sin. My dad, as being in the military, got deployed, and as he was gone, he was overseas in Saudi Arabia. Like what happens to a lot of military families when deployment's going on, things happen, and I think the, the van broke down, and I'm 16 years old trying to fix the van. Dad's not there. You know, I'm kind of the man of the house. Yeah. Not fixing the van. It <laughs> wasn't happening. And there were, listen, there were men in our church that stepped up and that helped our family out, helped my mom out. Men by the name of Kevin Matikowiak, one of our deacons, Joe Choka, Bruce Carr, Men in the church that stepped up and chose, chose to be a blessing and an encouragement. I was telling the teenagers this morning how my dad would call from Saudi Arabia in the time difference there, Brother Aaron, you know, he'd call and we'd be working on the van. And every time these men in the church would talk to my dad on the phone, always an encouragement, always a blessing. And I remember my dad toward the end of that deployment telling my mom, we didn't know it at the time, he told my mom, he said, he said, Nora, I said, I'll come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for a month. After that, you got to leave me alone. So my mom said, okay, he's going to come, praise the Lord. And I, I, I remember going to church on a Wednesday night and my mom sharing that testimony with the church and Brother Abel saying, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Listen, and I watched as some men, not preachers, not missionaries, just some men of God had a craving to cause some things to change in my dad's life. And they started investing in my dad and spending time with my dad and loving on my dad. I'll never forget it. We're over at Joe Choco's house having dinner one night. My dad's fixing his dryer. We're over there with my brother Gabe. We're watching what's going on and a screw drops. And my dad goes, hey, 
brother. It's right there. I never heard my dad say those things before. I look at Gabe, and we look on down at Brother Joe Choka, and Brother Joe looks up at us, just winks at us. He knew what was going on, but I didn't know. That Sunday morning, Brother Abel, I can't even tell you what he preached. I remember, remember him preaching, and I'm in the, it was just two aisles at that time, the old building, and I'm on the end in the middle, and I stand on up, and just being a rebellious teenager, put my hand on, you know, not even, not even I'm totally oblivious to what's going on. But the whole time during the service, my dad's all the way on the far side of the pew, bawling his eyes out. As the invitation takes place, as the invitation takes place, I feel the pew shake. And me and Gabe are standing next to each other. We look on down. My mom's all the way down on the end. She's bawling her eyes out. And I watch as my dad puts his hand up on that wall, that old country church there at Calvary Baptist Church. Holds himself up. Grown man, 20 plus years in the military, just got back from being deployed, all the pride in his heart. I watched as he humbled himself, and he went down to that old-fashioned altar weeping. Can I say this tonight? That I, 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 don't, I hate to say it to my, to my shame that, that my testimony wasn't what it should have been as a young man to cause my dad to come to a point of salvation. But I'm thankful tonight that there were some men in our church who had a desire and a craving to follow Jesus Christ and to love Jesus Christ and to be a passionate disciple of Jesus Christ that had an impact on my dad's life. Listen, you may not think it's a big deal. You may not think that, man, just gonna, it's not a big deal, Brother Andrew. It's just not a big deal. It's just not a big deal. No, no, can I say this tonight? It is a big deal. Church, it is a big deal that we take a stand and we are faithful to the house of God because there are young men and there are young ladies in this room that are watching our every move. Listen, these teenagers, aren't all, they're not always going to like Brother Andrew. We, we've had conversations. They're not always going to like what Brother Andrew has to say. But one thing, listen, one thing they can know, they know for sure is that Brother Andrew is going to tell them the truth and that he loves them. Um, and there's someone else, adults, that is the same way with us. It's our pastor. You may not always like what he has to say. You may not always like the word of God as it's being preached. But I'm telling you this right now. The man of God preaches the word of God unapologetically. Why? Because you and I, you and I, one, need the truth and because he loves us. Oh yeah, and by the way, God loves us too. So what are you craving tonight? What is it tonight that you're craving? You say, well, Brother Andrew, man, I'm craving Jesus. I'm craving Jesus. And we just got done with revival. Man, I'm craving Jesus. Of course I'm craving Jesus. Let your light shine. You really crave Jesus like you say you do? Let your light shine. Put some action to your words. Joseph did. The Bible says that he boldly went unto Pilate. Listen, and craved the body of Jesus. What is it tonight that you crave? Father, we thank you for the opportunity and privilege we have to be in your house. Lord, for the word of God. And I'm thankful for Joseph and his testimony. Lord, I, I can honestly say that I so often have read these passages of Scripture and just kind of overlooked Joseph and overlooked this passage and overlooked even the impact he had. And well, we I kind of just think of Joseph of Arimathea as, you know, the guy that had the tomb, the guy that put the fine linen on, the guy that took down Jesus' body. But Lord, it's so much deeper than that. And tonight, there are young men, and there's young ladies, and there's older men, and there's older ladies that really, to get down to the heart of it, must ask ourselves individually, not for anybody to the left or right of us, but individually, do we really crave Jesus Christ? Do we really crave that relationship with God that you so desire for us? Lord, I pray tonight that as we search our heart, 
that we would realize tonight that our cravings confirm some things. Lord, that our cravings cost us some things. And then lastly, Lord, that our cravings cause some things. I pray tonight that as a church, collectively, God, that we would be encouraged this last week from the revival meeting to crave you even more. Lord, to see you move and to see you work and see the Holy Spirit of God continue to bless and continue to work in our lives and to be, to be like a sponge to the Holy Spirit's leading. God, we've got to start craving the right things. There's no way that revival will stay here at Riverside Baptist Church. There's no way that the blessings of God will stay here at this church, let alone in our own families, if we begin to start craving the things of this life and the things of this world. Help us, God, to make you the number one priority to make you the thing that we crave the most. As we stand tonight, every head bowed, every eye closed, the altars are open. Listen, tonight, what do you crave? There's lots of things in this life that take our time, they they take our passions, What is it you crave the most? I hope tonight you can honestly say, I crave God. I crave Jesus Christ more than anything in this life. As Brother Dan sings, the altars are open. You just do business with God.